Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Rotelli. Today on the show, we're joined by Virginia head coach Lars Tiffany. Lars, thanks for coming on the show. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing well. We're uh, we're just uh, in the thick of the season here, and uh, um, God, it's the best time of year, isn't it? You know, yeah. spend all this time with the uh, the off season, the lifting, the training, preparing. Um, there's nothing better to be uh, be here in Charlottesville in March and uh, diving into the thick of the season. Already having played some games and and uh, and eager for more. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's a great time of year. You and you guys have had a really exciting season so far. You're four and two. You, your last four games have all been one goal games, and you've won your last three all in overtime. Um, what is it about this year's team that allows you you guys to play great in sudden death situations? You know, it's. I will tell you this. We've asked a lot of our men. You're a University of Virginia lacrosse alum, um, obviously highly decorated uh, individually and certainly with your team winning a national championship. I'm going to say something that might make you cringe a little bit. <laughs> this UVA lacrosse team has sacrificed more than any other UVA lacrosse team. Now, why oh. I say that is the world's changed. Yeah. There's higher expectations of everyone's choices uh, socially and their behavior, both on and off the field. And, um, in this day and age, we ask our men to make much more sacrifices, whether they're of age or not to consume alcohol, um, and their other social decisions. And so this group, um, has sacrificed so much for each other. And, um, and I, I see that coming out in the, the way we're bonding and, cohes- and and the cohesion of the team, but also in those moments when it does come down to the bounce of a ball, a ground ball, you know, this, this group, we're not as talented as the 03 Virginia Cavaliers. Um, and um, we certainly have a long way to go to reach the le- level that Dom Starge's teams reached in those peak years. But in terms of the sacrifice and the commitment, this team has done it. And I, I do think you see the positive results in these close games. Yeah, that's cool. You talk about sacrifice. You know, when you said that, I instantly thought of the 99 Virginia team, which was the first national championship led by Tucker Radabaugh. And I remember that was the first Virginia team to to have their own version of sacrifice when I think they created um, a no-drinking policy um, largely in the spring. And, uh, so it sounds similar that that's cool. So what, what are the other main differences you, this year, three years in, you've, you've been at UVA for three years. What's different about the program in year three than in year one? We're asking a lot more of our men with the decision-making I was just alluding to certainly off the field, but on the field too. Um, we're, the, the team we inherited from Dom, um, Really good men, high character men. Dom's always, you know, been uh, been been fantastic with building strong relationships with his recruits and prospects. What we try to do as a staff is take it to the next level in terms of multiple scheme comprehension of really, really playing the game um, with a thinking cap on and understanding it. Uh, our opponent coming up here, Notre Dame, I think is one of the best at that. Uh, not only do they recruit high character and quality athletes, but I think they also do a great job developing them in terms of decision-making. You know, for example, you're a former midfielder, bam, you lose the ball. Now what? 
Yeah. Am I close enough to get out of the game? Uh-oh, there's transition. I better get them back in a hole. Ooh, can I slide up field and ride because I got a chance to make a play? You got three big decisions to make in a couple seconds. You know, a choice of those. of those, And that's, that's when I talk about decision-making, that's one of those uh, areas. Uh, when to ride, when to get out of the game, when to take away transition. Um, obviously, there's more typical ones on attack. When to press the tempo versus, you know what, this is a better time to possess the ball. We've got Matt Moore, who moved from midfield uh, and had a fantastic freshman year here at Virginia as a midfielder, but we've moved him to attack. He's still not quite fully comfortable with the the responsibility of it. I, and, I, and I mean that sincerely. It's a big responsibility, that decision-making. Yeah. Um, and right now, I think for him, the first good thing is the best thing. And he's firing the ball in there, you know, and uh, <laughs> and so – that growth of decision making on the field is really the character that we're trying to find in year three. You know, year one was put in our fast paced frenetic offense. Um, year two was the bond to start liking each other more, to build a greater trust within the locker room. And and we did a lot with the cultural Thursdays and book reading last year, and we continue that this year. And then year three is year decision making. Huh. So so how do you practice? decision-making like what's a typical UVA practice like right now yeah well it's you know because that's a great question because we all love the practices where you get out there for two hours and you're just exhausted afterwards you beat on each other it's tough ground balls it's two on twos a little gauntlet drill some general drill just smashing and scoring goals keeping score hooting and hollering but then you can't do that every day if, if if what I'm professing is important to us so yesterday's practice for example was lower energy, but a lot more thinking. And mm-hmm. so trying to recreate those scenarios uh, where we, okay, we just lost the ball on offense. Where are you on the field? Yeah. Where's the ball? You know, are you running back in a hole? Are you getting out of the game? Are you riding and sliding up field? Recreating those scenarios. And it's interesting with this new metric, the shot clock. Yeah. And, uh, it guides us. It helps us make some of the decisions on offense. And like I alluded to with Matt Moore, any other attackman as well, but we just focus on Matt a little bit more. Hey, Matt, you just force that ball in the crease where there's 50 seconds on the shot clock. Um, maybe with 15 seconds on the shot clock, that's a good force. That's a good look. But, um, um, you know, just sort of using that as a guide. Yeah. And and it's almost maybe unfair, I will admit. Now we have another metric to measure him with and, and the others. And, and I got to be careful about not being too critical because at the end of the day um, – you know, you think about the Virginia teams of old, you know, there were plays, there were schemes, but you were not overloaded. You were, you were like, okay, yeah. we're going to step on the field and run this team off the field. Yeah. We're going to run over and <laughs> we're not going to get too complicated and thinking about what the, uh, what the man down clear is supposed to look like. How about you just give me the ball and I'll, I'll run it over them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of two, three, one triangle <laughs> offense going on. Just... <laughs> Uh, you talk about the shot clock. Uh, do you have a shot clock at practice? Do you have one on the field? Absolutely. Yeah, you, cool. you, even yesterday, we were we practiced on grass for 45 minutes, and then we flipped over to the uh, main practice field. For those 45 minutes, we brought the shot clock with us, you know, because we were going to do some clearing and riding. So we're we're really fortunate. Obviously, Division One facilities that we have here in Charlottesville. That, uh, but we uh, it's really important us to learn that clock and. We have a great role model across the street with Tony Bennett and the University of Virginia men's basketball team. Yeah, they are their whole that whole game is a shot clock, you know, thirty <laughs> seconds, and uh, 
the decisions, obviously they play great defense, but the decisions on offense, they, they seem to do a good job of tweak, taking a few more extra seconds and, and not rushing their shots. And they really understand that shot clock. So that's what we're trying to get to. So that's why we have it at practice every day. That's cool. Uh, what, what about, um, you know, the new rules as a whole, the shot clock and the dive, how has it helped or hurt the game this season in your opinion? Oh, shot clock's been fantastic. Yes, there's going to be some malfunctions and some uh, clock operator error, but it's been fantastic. As a fan, you can watch the game and you know a shot is imminent, that the opposing team can't just stall. Um, It makes both offenses have to play quicker. Um, It alleviates me as a head coach from yelling at the referees the whole game of, they're not going to the goal. Put the sh- put that hybrid shot clock on them. And thank God we got rid of that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, we got enough to talk about with the referees. And I'm, so, I'm so glad that's off the, uh, the, the menu. Uh, the dive is tricky. I think it's, I think it's really tough to adjudicate. And uh, especially if we're not going to have instant replay. Yeah. At, uh, it's a bang, bang play. And, trying to figure out the angle that the diver went at. Did he make contact with the goalie in any format before the ball went in? Yeah, what? that's such a weird rule. So how do you, how do they fix that? I don't, I, I really, I, <laughs> we've, one way to fix it is go back to what we used to have. And, um, you know, that was, uh, that was, that was easier. It didn't make people happy. People, uh, the 2017 Final Four between Denver and Maryland. There were two fantastic goals scored late in that game. Yeah. Uh, Maryland almost put got a two-goal lead, but the uh, the diving foot of Colin Heacock just touches the restraining line, and uh, or excuse me, the crease line. So that goal is wiped out. And then a minute later, the fantastic play that could have tied a game for Denver with 10 seconds left. That's called, um, you know, a crease violation. The the fans, a lot of coaches want those two goals to count yeah and so then it was up to the rules committee uh which i'm a member of to create a dive rule that could allow those goals to count um yet be uh something that the referees could be able to manage i'm it's maybe there's maybe the, the officials and the coaches and the players need another year and we'll be more comfortable with this um but there's some growing pains right now that's for sure yeah yeah um your team seemed to always be great with ground balls. You led the country in that department last season, and you're ranked number one again this year. Why do your teams? Why are they? Why are your teams so good on the ground? And and what do you do at practice to to coach that? Well, first of all, you have to get to know your statistician really well in Greece and take. <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> um, or or you just or as a lacrosse coach, you bring out. I, I actually own a six foot. Alfie Jacques made wooden stick and I just bring that to practice and anyone doesn't want to pick up the ground ball gets chopped with that thing. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do the trick. Um, Honestly, I think I'm just following the footsteps of Dom. Dom Stars' teams were often some of the top ground ball teams in the nation. Yeah, they were. And, um, you know, maybe it's a mindset that we, that we, I inherited from Dom as a player under him at Brown and, um, but carried it forward. And, and certainly it's a, um, it's something that's just, uh, we practice. It's a mindset. Yeah, it is. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, there's only, a, you know, when you've got a limited amount of time on all of us coaches have a limited resource. Certainly I have more than, than a youth coach listening right now, but with your 
X number of minutes, what do you do? And I'm sitting here professing that we want to become a smarter team. Um, so does that mean we do a couple less ground ball drills? Um, and so you got to find that balance, but we're, um, we're adamant that the ground balls have to, uh, have to be something that's critical for now. One way we could do it is, and this all of us coaches face this dilemma. You're practicing, you're doing six feet, six, one end. The, the, something happens, the slide occurs, the ball's moved then a ball hits the, and then the ground ball occurs. Do you blow the whistle? Cause you need to make a teaching point. Or do you allow the, the play to continue and then make the teaching point later? I'm guilty of blowing that whistle sometimes, but I always try to remind myself, Lars, let the play happen. That's what a real game's like. No one's blowing the whistle to make a co- teaching point during a game. And so trying to create drills where you're not going to stop them and maybe just rely on film of practice so you can make your teaching point later. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Let's talk about Dom for a minute. Um, you played for Dom and, uh, did you feel pressure being the coach to follow him at UVA? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, everyone's going to use the analogy of the shoes to fill. Um, these, these, were, uh, these are snowshoes. These are, uh, <laughs> these are massive. You know, the, the imprint, uh, the impact he's made uh, in college across all over, um, and not only just here in Charlottesville. Um, He's a legend, and I think the rest of us are fortunate that he continues to stay in our lives through his writings with Inside Lacrosse and through all the programs that he meets with. Every time I, I reach out to him, he's somewhere else, whether it's a women's or men's team, speaking with the coaches, speaking with the boys and girls or men and women of that program. He's given of himself so much, and certainly with the work that he does with uh, Harlem Lacrosse. So I think we're all lucky to have him. And But... Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I will admit, I'm, as as I talk to you right now, there's five national ch- championship trophies um, above my head. If we had a one of those San Francisco type earthquakes, I might get, I might be uh, <laughs> not concussed and knocked out with those five championship trophies hang, hitting me. So, literally and figuratively, they hang over me as I sit at my desk, and uh, I feel I, I look up there, and Dom Dom had four of those, and. His, uh, his impact here is uh, legendary, and, and it'll never be forgotten. What are some of the lessons Dom taught you when you played for him at Brown that you try to teach your players at UVA? Well, he was always about the effort, and um, Dom didn't, did not want to overcomplicate things. You know, We had schemes, but he wanted to make sure it was a player's game and it was not a coach's game, and he allowed us freedom to play. And I always have to remind myself that balance all of us coaches have to find do I overcoach or undercoach? Of course, we want to find be perfect the level amount of coaching, but we have to look ourselves in a mirror. Did I give my defense too many of the opposing offenses plays? They can't remember them all. They're not robots. They got to play the game. How many of the opposing offenses do I show the defense to be prepared for? Where do I find that line? Do I would I rather be overcoached, have my men overcoached or undercoached? You know, and I think Dom always understood that it's a player's game that, you know, maybe some coach out there is going to have a better X's and O's day than me, but my men are going to be liberated and free to play and are going to play with huge energy. So Dom was always about the relationships he built with men and allowing those men to go and compete. That's really cool. When you recruit high school players to UVA, what's one or two of the crucial skills or attributes that you're looking for in a prospect? Yeah, that I want to see him play with passion, you know, and that passion could come out with toughness and grittiness, 
or maybe it's just, you know, when he scores goals, how excited he is for his teammates. You know, we all get excited for score ourselves, but how excited is he for his teammates? That passion, you just, you can feel it exude off of people when you watch them play. Um, they also do it in practice. You know, I, I don't go to too many practices, so I'd be talking to the club coach or the, the high school coach. But yeah, that passion, sort of, how bad do you want this? You know, what's a, there's that great video out there. I'm sure just about everyone's seen it where they, uh, they dunk the, the head of the young man, the analogy, like he, you wanted it to be so bad that you needed to breathe. And they take the, the analogy of you dunk someone's head underwater and you, all you want to do is breathe. You want nothing worse on this planet to breathe. How bad do you want lacrosse? How bad do you want to be a competitive player on the lacrosse field? How, how much is it, how important is it to you? You know, and that's where you see that passion come out. So that, that's, that's certainly important to me. And then, um, and then it's the, um, the quickness and not just footwork, but hands, how quick are your hands? Hmm. You and may not have the quickest feet, but how quick is the ball out of your stick when you wind up to shoot or you're catching the ball loaded to shoot or how quick is the ball out of your stick when you move it? <clears throat> and then, um, and the mental, the, the decision-making, how quick can you make decisions? Are you, are you playing at a different level than everyone else on the field? Are you processing? Are you, are you moving your feet and is the ball moving faster than people around you? Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, you talk about passion. You, you coached Tawartan award winner Dylan Malloy at Brown and he, he took you all the way to the final four in 2016. He played with a ton of passion and energy. Are there any players on this year's UVA team that remind you of him? Ian Laviano. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Dylan, if, if we had a rare morning practice at Brown, Dylan was even more dominant because half the guys were, oh, I don't, I, I don't want to be here. I want to be sleeping. But Dylan would be laughing, having fun at practice. He loved practicing and playing lacrosse. Ian Laviano loves Tuesday afternoon practices and riding people down and slashing them if they lose the ball and just jumping in people's arms when they score a goal in practice. He, uh, <laughs> he's, he's so much fun, such big energy. And uh, he, he reminds me of Dylan. That's cool. So, most people probably don't know, you were a biology teacher for four years at Robert Louis Stevenson in Pebble Beach. What was that experience like, and why'd you decide to leave and go into coaching full-time? Yeah, right. Everyone's like, why would you ever leave? <laughs> Pebble Beach had is a, a nice place to be. Yeah, you had a you had your housing <laughs> taken care of in probably the most expensive area in the world. <laughs> you had no rent, no property taxes. Um, it was fantastic for a first job. And uh, to be a part of a community right away, uh, to move away 3,000 miles from the East Coast, uh, being a part of a prep school setting and having a community of people to, uh, to lean on and reach out to, uh, the, the dining hall to have the food, it was, uh, it was, really, it was wonderful. I really enjoyed being, having the opportunity to be able to teach what I just learned. Yeah. Um, that for me was important. It was an affirmation of, I've spent four years studying biology at Brown. Um, let me reinforce it with another four years. Uh, and I did it in different ways. I was doing marine biology. We had access to the Monterey Bay Aquarium, uh, Wednesday mornings, uh, with a senior elective I taught. And then, um, and then doing a little geology, earth science as well. We called it marine science since we're on the beach. So it was, uh, I just, I loved it too. Cause it really, uh, it was, it allowed me to continue in a sense, learn and nail down and Exactly, uh, a lot of that I, gra- I gained during my four years as a Brown student. Um, got to coach with a great young, man, a great man, Jeff Young, um, with Stevenson. He was a football coach and lacrosse coach, athletic director. What an incredible role model I had with Jeff Young. Uh, 
someone who was passionate, but just never negative. He was always positive. He would never get angry at the kids. I don't know how you do that. If you're passionate, you got to get angry, right? You know, yeah. and somehow, you know, I coached with another man, John Thompson, who was the head coach at Amherst. He reminds me of that. Yeah, somehow he's so intense, but never negative. I don't know how you do that. I, I get negative sometimes. So, uh, um, but yeah, what a, what a wonderful place to live. And I, I know the greenskeepers are happy. I left. I know they're happy because <laughs> as a teacher, we had access to uh, uh, spyglass um, once a week after 4 p.m. for free because uh, because of an agreement between Robert Louis Stevenson School and that course. And oh man, we'd go out there and butcher that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so what what was it about coaching that drew you back in, and what do you love about it so much? Well, it's an interesting story because I, I uh, we. I, uh, a, a girlfriend of mine, uh, a California girl, uh, Denise Uzjohn, and I leave California in 1994, sort of really headed for un parts unknown to uh, settle somewhere and pursue the next level of education. She wanted to become a physician assistant, which she did. I wanted to become a veterinarian. Uh, we end up settling in Syracuse, and yes, it's cruel to take a uh, uh, a Southern California girl to Syracuse, New York. I, I know, and, uh, <laughs> but uh, we set up shop, and she started. We started taking classes, and. And, um, uh, and along the way she started, she became the uh, head coach of the Lemoyne college women's lacrosse team, a brand new division two lacrosse program at that point. And, uh, she came home and asked me if I would help her. And I said, yeah, sounds like fun. Let's do it. And that's how I got into college coaching. Wow. So doing this division two women's program, um, kept, we were still studying and she kept the studies going all of a sudden, you know, I was doing my, it was almost post back year like uh, people do if they didn't take the pre-med requirements in undergraduate and they need to do another year to nail those down to apply to med school. I was doing the same in the sense for vet school. And um, so I was taking some organic chemistry, some microbiology, some physics, and uh, just all of a sudden I was like, wow, this coaching, is I really enjoy this. And uh, next thing you know, I wasn't applying to Cornell anymore, Fred School. I was uh, I was on my way to Washington and Lee to work with Jim Stagnita and start my coaching career. That's awesome. That's a great story. What what would you say is your coaching philosophy? Yeah, well, I've, I've got my mission statement, um, you know, and I, and I can read that off to you. And it, it, it I, I tried to spend time really thinking about what those words in 25 or less. You know, that was a challenge I was given uh, once through a book. Actually, uh, I read uh, Pete Carroll's book, Win Forever, and he threw that challenge out there. You know, what is your what is your mantra? What's your mission? 25 words or less. And wow. And, um, yeah, and what so, is, I'd love to hear that if you have it. Sure. Yeah. It's, um, uh, expect nothing, earn everything by always competing. We are always preparing to win free of fear in the relentless pursuit of self-knowledge. So the first four words, expect nothing, earn everything. That's results based. I, I don't ever want to step on a field expecting anything. So expect nothing, earn everything. It's, uh, if I ever write a book, that'll be the title of it. Um, it's just, it, it summarizes what I believe. Now you could find fault in that and say, well, coach, don't you expect your players to give a hundred percent? Yes, you're right. I, in terms of behavior and effort, there's our, there are expectations, but in terms of results, um, I want to expect nothing, earn everything. Um, by always competing. So trying to create practices where you do keep score, um, where competition matters here at Virginia, we have a depth chart. And we do it weekly and each coach has a vote. So the four of us just did it uh, uh, today, actually. And we have assessed and evaluate every player 
uh, weekly. So you can move up and down the depth chart based on your play from the previous game or even those couple days of intense practices that we have during the week, the Tuesdays and Wednesday practices. Um, so by always competing, you're always preparing to win because ultimately we're, we're trying to prepare men to win on the cross field and certainly win in life. Um, free of fear. That's my job. Again, I'm trying to make smarter lacrosse players this year, as I mentioned with year three, as a, as a staff, we're trying to do this, but I don't want to get too structured and too rigid and be too critical. And I could, you see you saying, well, coach, don't you, you, you have a new metric, the shot clock and you're telling Matt Moore, you can't take that shot or make that feed with 50 seconds left. You're right. And so I've got to be careful because I don't, I don't want to be over critical and we got to let them play because I bottom line, I need our men to play free or fear. And if we do that, then the results that we've had the last few weeks where we've won these one goal games in overtime could be uh, a direct result of that because we're stepping in the fourth quarter down four twice and down two once and then going in overtime and winning the game. And maybe we're not fear. Maybe there isn't fear. Maybe we've reduced it because we're playing to win. We're playing to have fun. And then those last words in the relentless pursuit of self-knowledge. And that's this whole thing called life. I mean, we're just, we're, Bottom line, we need, we need to learn who we are and what what motivates us. And um, it's about helping others and building relationships with us, certainly. But what is it about us that will help us help others? And knowing ourselves is so critical. And so that relentless pursuit of self-knowledge, the game of life. Oh, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, oh, I appreciate I, you asking. Yeah. <clears throat> I've... Um... I know you ask your teams to read a book each year, and I heard this year's book was Legacy by James Kerr about the New Zealand All Blacks rugby program. What has that book taught your team? It's it, they, They're lessons of leadership. Uh, I really like how James Kerr organized it, 15 chapters, one-word chapter titles. Uh, for example, chapter one is character. Uh, chapter seven is expectations which is a tough one for me, right? Because I'm the one who says expect nothing, <laughs> earn everything. But you're saying, hey, Lars, you're on my alma mater. There's national championships in the past. <laughs> we, we expect, expect you to win one. <laughs> exactly. And so I, when, we, when we did Chapter 7 with the men, I said, fellas, i got to admit, this is a tricky one for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Chapter 9, pressure. You know, that's, that's, that, that defines coaching and playing at the University of Virginia. Yeah. You know, pressure. And so I just really like how that book, if for a coach, if there's certain sort of general themes that are affecting you or, or carry more weight, this book probably in a 12 to 14 page chapter can attend to it and provide real examples of obviously a fantastic athletic program, the New Zealand All Blacks national rugby team. And so it's, it's, uh, it's also used for business purposes, but uh, as, an, as another program, another athletic team, I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, oh, that's great. Um... So you play Notre Dame tomorrow. What do you guys need to do to beat them? Well, it's interesting because I, I do think of Notre Dame as uh, as one of the smartest teams out there. They um, the defense is uh, so well coached, and and they effectively uh, do a great job sliding, recovering, knowing when to slide, when not to slide. Um, and then, but offensively and the clearing and riding, they know when to ride, when to get in a hole. So if you see a team's strengths. If you can match that strength or come close to matching that, that could help neutralize um, something. So big for us is, is going to be um, is our offensive patience, but knowing when to be dangerous. And that's as we try to figure this out, like 
you know, we can go in the locker rooms. Fellas, we got to be smarter. We got to be more patient. Well, uh, you're playing offense. You can't play offense for 60 minutes patient. <laughs> you know, you, you got to know when to strike and when to be aggressive. And so, you know, for us, it's going to be critical is understanding that balance of, um, and breaking down the Notre Dame defense, you can't do that in 20 seconds. We're going to have to start being aggressive as soon as we get the ball on the offensive end with 50 seconds on the shot clock. Uh, we can't just spin the ball around and wait till the end, or we're not, we're not or we're going to be taking bad shots from outside. So um, it's going to be finding, you know, really playing a, a more cerebral game um, that we're trying to build towards. That as in year three is our goal. Yeah. Cool. Who? Um, who's in the cage for you tomorrow? Oh yeah, that's the ultimate question. You know, Kevin Corgan, did he did he just type in that and send that question? <laughs> He's texting. No, I would never. I, don't <laughs> worry. We won't air this till after the game. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you. Uh, but in all like, honest, in all seriousness, uh, though, you, you've got two of the best goalies in the country. You've played them both this year. Uh, Birkenshaw had one of the best games a goalie has ever had at UVA against Princeton, and then you made the decision to pull him out halfway through the Syracuse game. You go on to win the Syracuse game. Talk about that decision. That must have been a tough one. And I know many people kind of second-guessed you when you did it. Um, why'd, you make, what, why'd you pull them, and, and, and how have you been making that decision moving forward? Yeah, well, we've got a, we've got a system in place. And the system may not be the best system, but it's ours. And this depth chart that I alluded to earlier – Weekly, we go through it as coaches and we do the depth chart and then we define the playing chart, a.k.a. who's starting, who's the backup midfielder, who's the clearing middies, all that stuff that we lean on that system and your fate can change with practice. And so that's where, um, you know, the, the media and our fans can say, hmm, that was an interesting decision. Well, you know, if you're in our locker room and if you're in our coaches room and you're on practice fields and you understand our system, you're like, OK, now I get it. Um, and so Patrick, uh, we gave him the start going into the Princeton game. Um, and it, the, I tried not to think about it emotionally because I was like, okay, we're one and two. We're heading to Princeton who just scored 23 goals against Monmouth and we're starting a freshman. <laughs> <laughs> I tried not to think about that, but I was like, cause the system, you know, the votes, the coaches, what we evaluated film, how the practice week went. Yeah. He's the better goalie right now. And he uh, obviously plays fantastic and makes 24 saves. And then going into the Syracuse game, he didn't have the greatest week. Not a bad week, but he had a pretty good week. And Alex Rode wanted that job back. And you could see it in practice. And so at halftime, Patrick was okay. He'd given up seven goals, made six saves. I was like, you know, I, I think Rode's ready. Rode beat Syracuse last year. He's had a good week. So, uh, so we went with Rode. And then, uh, and then we had to make that, you know, that's the, the, the problem with the system is you have to keep making these decisions every week. Right. And so then we go in into the, uh, into the Brown game. It's like, who's the starting goalie? And we just based it on who practiced well that week. And it was rode by a little bit. And I'll admit to you after the first quarter, I was, I was talking to the coaches like, Hey, I, you know, I'm ready to go to Birkenshaw because Alex did not start the game well at all. Gave up four goals, only had one good save. And, um, and we kept him in a little longer, and obviously he got hot. He ended up with 19 saves. Yeah. So say, um, I guess, um, you know, when you're a coach, it's easy to be second-guessed. If you're a coach that does things outside the norm, it's even easier. If you onside kick in the first quarter, if you throw fastballs to a fastball hitter, it's easy to be second-guessed. Um, but 
you know, it's, I think uh, all of the coaches out there you just have to have courage to stick with your systems. And if, if you know the odds are in your favor, even though conventional wisdom of lacrosse or football or basketball is not to do that, don't do that. Nobody ever does, you know, well, you know, this is how we, this is what we're going to do. And so, um, I'm also fortunate that our goalies have made us look good because they both made saves no matter who's been in a goal. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, you talk about Rhodes game last week. Um, you, you played Brown, uh, must've been an emotional game with talk about that game. You, you win it out over time, both goalies, the Browns and, and your, yours play fantastic. Um, what was that game like? Was it, was it, was it extra <laughs> tough playing against Brown? It, um, it did surprise me a little bit. I knew there'd be a lot of uh, fun and rewarding moments seeing all the alumni back. Uh, Michael Goldberger, my old athletic director, brought his family, um, Kathy and his son, Kevin, who has always been a part of the Brown lacrosse and Brown field hockey teams. They came to our house for breakfast and the Meister, Rich Meister, one of the four Meister brothers who were all captains of Brown lacrosse came over and got to see so many friends like that. And it was fantastic to see Angelo Bosco, Ken Fitzsimmons, who's from the Bay Area originally. It was wonderful. Um, then the game started and I did, I will admit, I found myself a little more nervous than normal. Yeah. I, uh, I'm usually able to calm my nerves. And, um, and I think a lot of that is due to my alma mater's team. They, they, they came over here. They came down here to Shawsville, not intimidated, uh, by an ACC venue, uh, or a national ranking or anything. They came in here and competed. And uh, as an alum, I was proud. As the opposing coach, I was not so happy about it. And I think that's where the nerves came from. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, when you're, you're down four late in the game, you must have been very nervous. How would you guys turn that one around? Yeah, again, I think it's when you can draw on the experience from Princeton being down two yeah. and then Syracuse being down four as well in the fourth quarter. I think it's, it's fortunate when you have those early season experiences and because uh, you can rely on those. And it just builds that belief. A lot of teams say they believe, but you have to prove it to believe. And, and because we've done it before, um, now the challenge is can we play better early <laughs> and, and not get down four. But uh, Brown had a lot to do with them building that lead. Um, but, yeah, I give our men such, such credit that it's um, – you know, because now every possession is more meaningful. Every ride, we had a bunch of ride backs against uh, Brown, and we needed them. We needed to get that ball back, and uh, the faceoffs became more critical. Um, so it's just, it's it's a group again because of the sacrifice. I think it helps you rally in moments like this um, when you've seen guys spend more nights at home doing their homework than maybe in the past, and uh, and really committing to this program being great and being great representatives of UVA. Um, if you had to pick four teams that'll be in the final four this year, who would they be? Duke, Yale, Penn State, Loyola, and uh, not Virginia. You're not going to pick Virginia yourself? fans. Virginia fans, we're going to blow that. You're going to you're going to make. I'm going to. Our job is to make me eat my own words, right? Okay, so that's how <laughs> we're going to do this. We're going to approach it that way. Okay, okay? all right. We're gonna beat one of those four teams to to in the quarterfinals to make me make myself eat my own words. Okay, uh, I I can't wait for that to happen. <laughs> but just, exactly, but just watching the early lacrosse. I mean, Penn State just seems indomitable right now. The only the game they lost is because they lost eighty five percent of the faceoffs. Yeah. Um, Yale just um, with the experience and having so much back. Um, Duke uh, watching them play Loyola the other day. They just they look like they're back in form. 
and uh, and Loyola because they have the best player in the country. I mean, there's a Tuaraton award out there waiting for him, um, unless there's a an unfortunate injury. Yeah, when and people- a fantastic staff and, and Coach Mark Van Arsdale is doing a great job there with Coach Toomey. Yeah, it's great yeah. to see Coach Van doing so well there. Um, when people look back at this year's team, what do you want them to remember? That this was a team that allowed that guided Virginia to the next step culturally. That defining um, the, the the play on the field and the practice fields uh, is what's really going to determine what it means to be a UVA athlete and not the off the field, the social choices um, that have held us back. And, um, and that this is the team that turned the corner and really started being much more responsible and reasonable um, with their social decisions and put lacrosse truly at the forefront. It's always been, it's always been, it's always been big, obviously, um, and very important to Virginia lacrosse players. But to do to, that this is the program that set the tone to really sacrifice for each other. Cool. Cool. What, what, what do you get it? What does Virginia have to do to win another national championship? Um, you watch certain teams and you just know they're not going to go off sides in the fourth quarter. You know that they're going to get the best shot possible. Um, they're just well-schooled. They're well-coached. They're patient when they need to be patient. That's, that's going to be big for this program because the, the Virginia teams of old, Dom was such an incredible recruiter, literally could, you know, through hard work, there was a ton of work. Don't get me wrong. They were training with purpose, but there was so much talent and they were, they could go out there and, and bully on defense and just firepower and offense that they were going to be a final four team most years. And then through commitment to each other and good coaching, some years won the national championship. Um, the, there's just more talent now. There's more teams with that superior firepower and, and good coaches and face-off guys who get you the ball 75% of the time because of the way the rules are now. Um, you don't find the fantastic goalies anymore at 65 70%, but that's a whole other podcast we can talk about. <laughs> um, but you do find the face-off possession at that ratio. So because there's more competition, there's more parity, um, we're just going to have to take it to the next level in terms of continue to get those best athletes, but also make them really, really smart, savvy lacrosse players. Well, it's been a lot of fun to watch. You guys are having a great year. Do we have another overtime game coming up tomorrow with Notre Dame? <laughs> um, you probably hope not at this point. <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, part of me say, well, why, why wouldn't there be? Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, we'll be, uh, We'll be fortunate if we can uh, contain, if we can score, uh, if we can score a lot of goals against this team defense and prevent their offense from scoring. So uh, it's uh, it's going to be a great it's going to be a great challenge for us. We obviously uh, we felt the sting of a massive loss to them last year in the ACC championship game here, um, and so we've uh, we've seen Notre Dame play at a high level, and the challenge is can we match that high level tomorrow. Well, go get him, Coach. Good luck. And, uh, Lars, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great to talk to you. Uh, it's wonderful to be with you, with this, Chris. And I love what you're doing, helping spread the game of lacrosse, uh, not only uh, in California but nationally. So thank you. Well, thank you, Lars. And, and good luck. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Right, bye.